Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Well, hey, good morning, Rescue Church. Welcome each and every one of you in all of our locations. It's great having you with us. Hey, this morning, we're going to jump right into John chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles and want to get your Bibles open to John chapter 9, we've got an awesome story we're going to hear. As you're turning there, I've got a quick story I want to share. This will be a lot shorter than the story we're going to look at from Scripture today. But not many people know this about me, but here's a little detail about my life, a little fun fact. I used to be a wrestler in high school. And uh, the reason that you don't know much about that is because I never talk about it because it was a horrible experience. But I'll tell you kind of the highlight of my one season of wrestling in high school, and then I'll tie it into today's message. So uh, I, I wrestled my sophomore year of high school, and not because I wanted to wrestle or not even because it looked like fun. The truthful story is I was just sucking up to the football coach who I wanted to impress and please. And so football ended and I decided I'd I'd wrestle. Horrible, horrible decision. I didn't like it at all. And to, to make things worse, the very first match of my life, the very first match of that season was against a school where those kids start wrestling before they're ever even allowed to leave the hospital as infants. Like this was a big wrestling school. Most likely I was going to be going up against a kid that had been wrestling his entire life. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a few weeks into this thing. So this, the stage is set for, you know, utter failure, right? Just a few seconds into the very first match of my life, you know, I, I, I shot in on the kid's leg to grab his leg and, and he put his hand out and somehow he managed to stick his finger deep into my eye. I mean, I felt it back in my brain somewhere. I'm not kidding. Well, I'm maybe exaggerating just a little. But he poked his finger deep into my eye, and all of a sudden, I could not see a thing. And the ref called the timeout on the match, and my coach called me over to him, and I kind of stumbled over to where the coach was. And uh, I said, I'm fine. I was totally lying. I could not see anything. And the coach was like, look at me. And I said, I'm looking at you. He said, no, look at me. I said, I'm looking at you. He said, you're looking over there. I said, I'm looking at you. He said, there's something wrong with your eye. And, and I said, well, I, I'm fine. So he let me go back into the match for a few more minutes. And this kid just wallered all over me and beat on me. And I could not see anything. I had tears streaming out of both eyes completely like my vision was messed up. And finally, I just gave up and let the kid pin me, and, which is probably how that match was going to end anyway. And my, my wrestling career kind of just tapered off from there, so that's why you don't hear me talk about it that much. But what I can tell you is this. The next day, my eye swolled completely shut, and I could not see out of it, and my vision was kind of messed up for a little while. And when the vision finally started to return, and my teammates stopped calling me Cyclops because I was a one-eyed wrestler, like... Uh, I was so grateful to have my vision back. And I would suggest this. Our physical eyesight is a gift from God that we take for granted. And I'll just prove it to you. When was the last time you told God, thank you for the gift of eyesight? For those of you that can see, when was the last time that you thanked God for the ability to see? That's my point. We, We take it for granted every single day. We just go about our day with the ability to see. And it's not until that is taken away from you that you realize how desperately we appreciate 
the ability to have eyesight and vision. Well, today in our story in John chapter 9, we're going to see where Jesus restored vision to a man that had never had it in the first place. He was blind from the time he was born. And, and so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 9. We're going to go through the entire chapter today because it's all one story. And so there's, there's a lot to read, but we'll get through it. And, and I'm going to stop along the way and just point out some lessons that I think God would have us hear and apply to our lives today uh, as we read this story that took place thousands of years ago. But can you imagine being born blind, never able to see, you encounter someone named Jesus And he restores your vision. That's what we're going to hear about today. So John chapter 9, starting in verse 1, here's what John writes. He says, as he went along, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, now watch this question. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That's an interesting question. An even more interesting response. Neither This man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's kind of like Jesus is saying there's a lot of spiritually blind people around walking about in spiritual darkness. I've come as a light to restore their sight and their vision and make it possible for people to see, not just physically, but spiritually. That's what we're going to learn. There's a lot more going on in this story than just physical eyesight being restored. But let me pause the story here for just a minute to point out that was an interesting question, right? The disciples wanted to know, was this man's blindness caused by his own sin or was it the sin of his parents? And really what that question is getting to is this very commonly held thought among the Jewish culture at this time that if you were suffering or if you were going through any kind of trial in your life, it was probably because of your sin or someone close to you that sinned and God was essentially punishing you. I got a question. Do we kind of have similar thoughts in our world today? I think we do. I think that we still kind of think that if bad things are happening, it must be because God's mad at me, or I've done something bad, or someone close to me has doing something bad, and now I'm getting punished for it. And and by the way, to be fair, sometimes that is the truth. I mean, sometimes God allows consequences in our life because of our own bad choices, but that's not always the case. And as we heard Jesus say, he's like, no, neither. It's not because of this man's sin or even because of his parents' sin. But God allowed this thing to happen in his life so that my power could be put on display right now. You're about to see the glory of God through what I'm getting ready to do in this man's life. And I guess I would just pause long enough to say this, that even in our world today, when we see evil happen around us, it causes some people to question the very existence of God. And the thinking goes like this, man, if there's a loving God in heaven, why would he let this kind of thing happen? And why would he allow these things to play out? But the truth is this, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has been cursed by sin. And the reality of that is that uh, good behavior is not always immediately rewarded this side of eternity. And likewise, evil behavior is not always punished immediately this side of eternity. And what that creates is a world where there's bad things that happen to good people. 
There's things that we go through that aren't necessarily fair, that we don't necessarily deserve, if you will. But there's a greater truth, and that's this, that sometimes in our suffering and in our pain and in our trials, God can draw us closer to himself and we can experience his power and grace and strength in ways that we never have known before. And it's sometimes we experience God the most when things are hardest and, and at their worst in our lives. So, and by the way, I guess to, to, to the Christians listening to this today, like that, that still doesn't mean that when someone we know is hurting or suffering that we need to come alongside them with a sermon that, well, there's purpose in the pain. I mean, that there's truth to that. But sometimes people just need to hurt. And they just need to cry and they just need to grieve and they need a shoulder to cry on and not necessarily a theologian to come alongside them and try and answer all of God's questions that we don't always have answers for. But I think I I wanted to pause long enough and make the point that if you're struggling and if you're suffering today, it's not necessarily an indicator that God is angry at you or upset with you. It could very well be that God is allowing some things to take place in your life because ultimately he wants to show his glory and his grace and his power in your life in a very unique way. And we're about to see that happen in this story. So as we continue to read verse 6, it says, After saying this, now this gets a little weird, a little gross, He spit on the ground, spits on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now watch what happens. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like the man. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked him. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Let me pause the story right there to just draw your attention to this point. If you're following along with me in your notes, I would encourage you to write this down. When Jesus steps into my life, the result is a changed life. And where am I getting that from the story? The fact that this man encounters Christ and Jesus changes his life. He gives him his physical eyesight back. And check this out. It didn't take very long for other people to notice the change in this man's life. Hey, isn't that the guy that used to sit and beg because he was blind and unable to work? And isn't that him? And some were like, yep, that's the guy. And others were like, no, it only looks like him. And he's like, no, that's me. I used to be that way, and I'm not that way anymore. I met someone named Jesus, and he changed my life. What I want you to know is this. When we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ in a true and authentic way, our lives can't stay the same. We change. We grow. I've heard it said like this, you know, imagine if I were to come to church this morning and say to you all that, man, I I had a rough commute from home to to church today Uh, on the way here. I, I, you're not going to believe this, but I got hit by a semi truck. You know, one of those massive trucks with the 18 wheels and the big trailers that they pull. Yes. One of those hit me as I was crossing the street and it flipped me up on top of the roof. and, And I went rolling off the back of the trailer and landed on the pavement. And then guess what? Another truck was coming and it ran over me. I'm telling you, whoo, that was a crazy drive to work this morning. Now, what's the problem with that? 
No one's believing me, are you? Because you're saying, John, what you're claiming you encounter does not match the evidence of what we see. If you really had encountered two semi-trucks like that, you would look and sound and act very different right now. You don't look like you encountered some semi-trucks on your way to church this morning. But hey, a word to the Christians, because i, I got to tell you, I've met Christians in my life or people who claim to have encountered not a semi-truck, but the living God of the universe. They claim that Jesus Christ has come into their heart and saved them, and yet their life doesn't look any different from people around them who don't claim to know Christ. There's no difference in their life. And so it it causes me to pause here and ask you the question, you who claim Christ is your Savior, what evidence is there in your life that would point others to believe that Jesus has actually changed you? See, when we go on living an unchanged life, claiming Christ is our Savior, what the world sees in what they call it is hypocrisy. They, they accuse us of saying we believe one thing but living a completely different way. And they're like, your life is no different than mine. And yet you claim to have a relationship with God who changes you? Where's the change? I don't see it. People quickly noticed that something was different about this man. He had encountered Jesus, and his life would never be the same again. Well, let's keep reading here. Verse 13. We're about to have trouble because Jesus can't do anything awesome without having the religious leaders right there to mess with them. Verse 13, it says, They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Remember, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. Now, uh uh-oh, here's a problem. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Religion has a way of dividing a lot of people. And here the religious leaders were divided on who Jesus is and and what to make of this claim that he healed this man. So i I got to just point this out to you. Jesus broke one of their rules. He broke a Sabbath rule. Now, question. Let's go back to the Old Testament. A little trivia for you. Who was it that gave the Sabbath to man? Who gave us the law to follow the Sabbath? Who was it? Good answer. It was God, right? So, question. Whose rule did Jesus break when he broke the Sabbath law? Nope. For those of you that said, God, no, not true. Let me explain. The the law that God gave us, he gave us this commandment of following and keeping the Sabbath as a gift to us. And the principle is that one day out of every seven days, God wants us to pause and to rest and to worship and to recreate or said in another way, to recreate, right? Like like God actually is giving us this gift that I don't want you to work seven days out of the week and to never stop. I want you to have built into the rhythm of your life one day out of every seven where you rest and you pause and you focus on me and you trust me that I will let you get more done in six days of work than everyone else around you will accomplish in seven days. That's the gift of the Sabbath. So what rule did Jesus break? 
He wasn't breaking God's rule. He was breaking a stupid, man-made rule that religion had foisted upon people. Because, see, here's the thing. The, 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 the religious establishment had made so many rules surrounding the Sabbath of the things you could and could not do. And they had taken this gift that God had given them and they had made it this burdensome thing where it's all these rules that nobody can even keep all of them. And I find it interesting. Check this out. A lot of commentators and scholars point the fact out that you study the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and so many times where Jesus healed someone, guess when he did it? It was on the Sabbath. It's almost as if he was intentionally messing with the Pharisees, breaking their man-made religious rule that he didn't care about. It's almost like he's picking a fight with the religious leaders. I love Jesus. Now, I, wanna, I want you to think, I'm going to go a little deeper into this. Think about this. Okay, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud out of the saliva and, and put it on the man's eyes. That's kind of weird, right? Let's go back to that detail. That's a little weird. But you might, it might help to understand that in this time and in this day and age, like spit was used for medicinal purposes. I'm kind of glad we've advanced in our understanding of some modern medicine and, and stuff like that. So you don't go to the doctor and get spit on anymore. That's cool. But in part, Jesus was kind of doing something that was medically accepted. He's making some thumb kind of salve out of the saliva. He's kind of making, we'll call it a loogie lotion, okay? Whatever. But, but the truth is, did Jesus need that to, to heal the man's eyesight? No. He could have healed him with nothing more than the power of his spoken word. He did it in other people's stories. He could have just said to the man, receive your sight. Boom. And the man's eyes were open and he could see. Why did Jesus make the saliva concoction? I think it was just to break the little rule the Pharisees had that that constituted work. And it's almost like Jesus is right thumbing it under their nose, like, I'm, I'm going to break your rule because it's a dumb rule. And it's not a rule God gave. It's a rule you made. And by the way, healing, any kind of medical work wasn't allowed on the Sabbath. And, and, and so all these rules that God never gave. By the way, if you want, on your notes, you could write down a word because there's, there's a word for that when man goes beyond the word of God and adds rules to our lives that God never gave us. The word is legalism. Legalism is where I take my own personal beliefs and personal convictions that the Bible doesn't really speak to, and then I, I hold other people accountable to the standards I've set, where I've gone beyond Scripture and set rules and regulations in place that God never gave. It's legalism. Some of you have come out of backgrounds of legalism. I have. I came out of a church background that maybe the intentions were right, that maybe if we give enough external rules, we can, we can kind of help people look like good Christians. You know, maybe the motive was right, but in the end, legalism results in a lot of rebellion and frustration and failure because I can't keep all of your rules. And where in the Bible does it even say that I have to keep these rules? God didn't give me these rules. You did. I would contend there's a lot of churches and religious groups today that would be equally annoyed with Jesus because he doesn't care about their rules. Just this past week on Facebook, I'm in a lot of different pastor groups on Facebook, and, and, and I saw this group of pastors having this heated debate about whether or not we should allow people into the holy sanctuary of God's house with coffee. 
Like, it's so unholy to sit in church and drink a cup of coffee, and people are getting mad about it. That's a great example of legalism. God doesn't say anything in his word in the New Testament about whether or not we can have coffee. I say drink up, enjoy your coffee in church, whatever. Like, and if you have some deep conviction about it, that's fine, but call it what it is. That's your own conviction. God didn't give us that rule. You did. So if you want to write this down, here's another takeaway. Jesus isn't concerned with how well I follow man-made religious rules. That ought to come as an emancipation proclamation for some of you. Because you still have your dad's voice, your grandma's voice, your old pastor's voice speaking into your head, telling you you've got to keep these rules that God never gave you. And Jesus would say to you, you're free from those. I've got some commandments that I need you to follow, that I'm telling you to follow, but my commandments aren't stupid. My commandments will lead to freedom and life and healing and hope. So follow me. You don't need to worry so much about following the religious rules that other people put in place for you that I've never set. And I love that about Jesus, that he so willingly looks the religious establishment in the eye, and he's like... And makes his little mud. I love it. I love Jesus. All right, let's keep going. Some of you are so grossed out by that. Verse 17, it says, Then they, the religious leaders, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? Now listen to them badger him. Listen to them just assault him with questions. It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. Notice earlier he referred to Jesus simply as a man. Now he's saying, Well, he's a, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Now listen to how they mess with his parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Well, we know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Why do you think his parents were afraid to answer the Pharisees' questions? It's about to tell us. John says his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said he is of age, ask him. These religious Pharisees are a bunch of bullies is what they are, intimidating people, trying to shut them up about what they believe about Jesus. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. This is basically a way of saying, tell us the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. Watch this powerful statement. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Let's just pause the story right there for a moment. And I want to say to anybody in the sound of my voice that's a new Christian, maybe in the last week or two weeks or two months, or maybe even in the last couple years, you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And let me just tell you what I know about you. I know that at times you feel a little inadequate. You feel like, man, there's so much I don't know about Jesus yet. There's so much I don't know about God and the Bible. And and people ask me questions, and I don't know how to answer their questions. This is so new to me. I'm learning. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up with the religious background. So people talk about stories and Bible characters, and I don't even know what they're talking about. And, and what you're tempted to do is believe the voice that says, well, then you're not, really, you're not really in yet. 
I mean, you're not really like those good Christians who know how to pray and know all the Bible stories and even have some of the verses memorized. And here's what I want to tell you. On one hand, yeah, it's true, like God wants us to grow, right? I really believe Jesus wants us to grow in our knowledge and in our understanding of him. That's why we're doing this read through the Bible together this year, because I really believe that God wants you to grow. But are you ready for some good news? You've got the rest of your life. Now, we don't know how long that is, but you've got the rest of your life to to grow in your knowledge of Jesus and to grow in your knowledge of God's word. And he does want you to grow. He wants you to learn. But are you ready for this? You don't need to have a bunch of answers about the Bible or about God or about Jesus to be able to give testimony to the world around you of what Jesus has done for your life. That's what we see on display in this story with this man when he's being pestered by the religious leaders, people who had been to the greatest seminaries of their day. They knew everything there was to know about the Bible. They just didn't know the God of the Bible. So they had all this religious knowledge, and yet here's this man who's, a, who's he's still not fully understanding Jesus for himself yet, but he's starting to take more of a stand for Christ because he's starting to process just how much this man named Jesus changed his life, and his testimony is basically this. There's a lot I don't know, guys, but one thing I do know is I used to not be able to see, and now I can see. My life has changed. My life is different. What I want you to know is this, that the world cannot deny the power of a transformed life. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to let people see what God has done in your life and that he's changing you. And your testimony is valid and it's powerful. And God will use that statement alone to bring other people to himself. So you don't have to go off to seminary and get a 12-year degree to be able to share your faith with others. God may lead some of you to go get that kind of a biblical education, but a lot of you, he's just going to say, tell people what I've done for your life. Show the world around you how I've changed your life and give testimony to it. Next verse, verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Oh, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Wow. Here's a brand new follower of Christ. Like he just met Jesus. There's so much he does not yet know. But he's slowly starting to have a better understanding of who Jesus is. And he's starting to give testimony to what Jesus has done for his life. And watch what happens. Immediately things get worse for him, don't they? I mean, he's got his eyesight, so that's really cool. Jesus changed his life. But his social standing is about to be changed radically. Because what Jesus has done in his life has brought him in direct confrontation with his religious upbringing. 
And his religious leaders actually persecute him. They actually throw him out, say, you're not welcome here anymore. We don't want any of that Jesus stuff happening in our church, is essentially what they're telling him. And here's the point. I want you to write this down. Choosing to follow Christ can result in persecution in my life. See, we don't like to talk about that part of the gospel. And maybe some of you gave your heart and life to Christ after hearing some preacher on TV talk about how better everything would be, how much more you would have, how much money you would be blessed with, how healthy you would be, how much favor you would walk in. It's called the prosperity gospel, and the problem with it is it's only half true. There are truths to the health and wealth gospel that, yes, following Christ will be advantageous to my life in so many ways. And yet, if that's my sole motive for following Christ, I'm missing something. That in addition to the benefits of knowing and following Jesus, and there are many, the truth is this. Sometimes life gets more difficult the moment I choose to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. So much so that Jesus encouraged his followers to consider the cost before they made a decision to follow him because there is a price to be paid. And I can't tell you, listen, if you're a new Christian or maybe more importantly, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, let me just warn you on the front side, I can't tell you how many times I've watched someone step across that line from darkness into light, from death into life by giving their soul to Jesus and saying, Lord, I believe, come into my heart and save me. And guess what happens? Does everything start to get better in their life? Nope. Their spiritual vision has been restored. They see Jesus for who he really is. They're starting to see the world as it really is. And all hell breaks loose in their life. I've had people call me up like the week after they got baptized and said, John, what's happening? I mean, we got saved, and then we got baptized, and now we don't even know if we're going to stay married. Like, we're fighting every single day. We've got financial problems. This is going wrong. That's going wrong. I just lost my job. I don't even know if this is worth it. And you know what? In those moments, I try and help them see what's happening. Do you realize there's a battle for your soul that's going on right now all around you? The evil one has had his hooks sunk deep into your life, and he's not about to just give you up to the side of Jesus without a fight. He's coming after you with everything he's got to pull you back and to discourage you in your infancy as a follower of Christ. He's going to do everything he can to trip you up right now. This is a very crucial part of your life. This is a very good time to stay connected to the body of Christ and to have godly people around you because the enemy's coming for you. You've got a bullseye on your back. And what you need to know is this. At any point in your life that you're going to take a stand for Jesus Christ, you better just expect you're going to get some fire coming your way. You're going to get some darts. Because the enemy doesn't mess with people who are already clearly on his side. I mean, the trap of sin will eventually slam shut and you will see how in bondage you really are, but he's not going to mess with you while you're moving toward the trap. So maybe there's a word of caution to some people in the sound of my voice this morning. If, if it's been a while since you've experienced any kind of spiritual opposition, maybe the enemy has not really deemed you much of a threat to his, to his agenda. And he's like, I just let that one go. She's doing a good enough job screwing up her life without us interfering. But if you're going to stand for Christ, what this man found out real quick is that there was about to be some persecution come his way. 
because of what Jesus did in his life. And you just need to know that. Okay, one more little push here to the end of the story. So this man gets thrown out. You're not welcome in the synagogue anymore. You're not, you're not one of us anymore. You're no longer welcome. Jesus is going to go after him. He's going to pursue him. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. I love this. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, look at this statement. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I love the fact that Jesus catches up with this man and he basically gives him an opportunity. Not just to see physically with this physical eyesight, but spiritually. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, tell me who he is so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you've seen him right now. You're talking to him. And I want you to notice that the longer this man contemplated what had happened in his life, where Jesus had changed his life, the more his faith in Jesus grew. I've tried to point it out as we went through the story. There were basically three different titles that this guy, this blind man, refers to Jesus as. First, he just goes, that man they call Jesus. He, just, he was just the man. That man, Jesus, made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash. I did, and, and now I see. And then later, when the religious leaders were pestering him, he basically goes, well, maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's more than a man. I mean, no mere man could just do that. Like, maybe he's some kind of a special man. He's a prophet. And when Jesus really helped him see, not just with physical eyes, but with spiritual vision, he came to call Jesus Christ his Lord, and he worshiped him. I love that we see that progression of faith in this man's story. And I believe Jesus is still writing those kinds of stories in the lives of people. Where the more we follow him, the more clearly we see him. Here's my question for you. I'm going to end with our three action steps of know, grow, go. My question is this. Do you know Christ? Have you come to accurately see Jesus for who he is? Has he removed the blinders from your eyes? Not necessarily physically, I'm talking spiritually. Do you know him? If not, as I close in a word of prayer here in just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior. You call him Lord. You confess him as your Lord, as your Savior. You worship him today. Do you know him? Are you growing? I've, I've hit on this enough. I'm not going to preach it all again, but just to, to reiterate, is your life changing? Do other people around you recognize that, man, Jesus has done something in this person's life? Are you growing in your knowledge of God? Are you growing in your relationship? More and more is your life reflecting Jesus. I think that's how this works. We come to have our spiritual vision restored and then all of a sudden we start to see how blind we really were. 
And we go, whoa, man, I can't believe I used to live that way. I can't believe I used to think that was okay. I can't believe I used to support that or laugh at that. My life is changing. And then let me ask this question, are you going? Are you going and helping other people see Jesus for who he really is? Part of that is by testifying, giving testimony to the world around us of all that God has done for me and for you. Are you doing that? I'm encouraging, you know, in the Flandre campus today, we're, we're having a time of testimonies. As soon as this message is done, I'm encouraging in all of our campuses some kind of testimonies where you're sharing with other people your I was blind, but now I see stories. We just need to celebrate those stories and embrace those stories of life change. I believe that's part of going and sharing Christ with the world around us. If there's anything we can do to help you take another step of growth in your walk with Christ or maybe to come to know him for the very first time in your life today, please don't leave any of our campuses. Don't walk out of here without talking to one of us, talking to one of our campus pastors, one of our volunteers about how we can help you as you continue to follow Christ and have your vision restored. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer today. God, thank you for this time that you've given to us. I thank you for this powerful story where we see Jesus not only heal the physical blindness, Lord, but the spiritual blindness of this man. I've got to believe in a room this size, Lord, and in a crowd this size and all of our campuses this weekend, there's somebody listening to this who is spiritually blind right now. They might have their physical eyesight, but they don't know you. They don't see you yet. Lord, I thank you that they're with us today, and my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would just be removing those blinders right now and helping them see you, not as a man, not as just a prophet of old, but as the living God of the universe who wants a relationship with them. And might today be the day that they declare you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior and give you the worship that you are worthy of. God, I pray that the men and women and teenagers and children of the Rescue Church, that we would be a growing people, that you are continually changing our lives and the world sees you at work in us. That those are more than just words, but that we're truly growing. And then, Lord, help us to have the strength and the courage to go and the boldness to declare and to testify to the world that is still lost in darkness, that we have the light. Jesus, you are the light of the world. We heard you say that today. I pray you'd help us to go shine a light in our community as we go and serve others and tell them of your great work and your great love for them. God, I just pray that you'd bless us as we go from here today. Bless our time of testimonies and sharing. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.